One of the last times I was on this stage, I wore a coral shirt. I will say coral. Some questioned that. They thought it was pink. So I figured that I may have offended some people with that shirt, and I didn't want to do that this morning. So I really played it safe this morning and went with brown. So hopefully you're not offended by brown. If you are, I apologize. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue in our series, pick up in our series again in 1 John. We'll be in 1 John chapter 2. We'll be working through the passages, uh, verses 3 to 11. Uh, so if you want to open your Bibles and turn with me to that passage, uh, that'd be great. If you're not familiar with your Bible, 1 John is near the end of the Bible. If you find Revelation, turn a couple pages back to the left. You'll go through a small book called Jude, 3 John, 2 John, and then you will find 1 John. This morning, we're going to be talking about obedience this morning. And this passage, this particular passage, has a lot of meaning for me because God spoke to me about this very early in my life. And I will tell you that story in a minute. But I want you to think about the fact that this morning, our love for God is directly reflected in our obedience to Him. If we say that we love God, in turn we will obey Him. And John speaks to us in this passage about that. So I want to read the passage with you. I'm going to pray and then we will uh, get into the rest of the message for this morning. So 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word... God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. Let's pray. Father God, I come to you this morning and so grateful, Lord, in worship. What a time of worship we just had. Father, and our worship just isn't in song. It's in everything that we do. God, I pray this morning that you would use me, that you would speak through me. Speak through your word, through the words in 1 John. Lord, may they penetrate our hearts. May we be ready to receive it. Father, I pray for this congregation. I pray that you would uh, just work in them. Lord, reach to them, speak to them. And God, may we be willing to move uh, from where we're at as we long to walk as Jesus did and worship you. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. As a youth pastor, one of the questions that I am often asked as I work with young people, people will come to me and they will say, Chris, how do I know that I am a Christian? How do I know for sure that when I die, I will have eternal life? Because whenever someone asks me, how do I know that I'm a Christian? Often the question really is, how do I know that I will go to heaven? I really want to go to heaven when I die, so how do I know? And the answer is found in 1 John chapter 2, 
verse 3. This is how you know that you are a Christian. John gives us sort of the litmus test of if you want to know if you are a believer in Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, here's how you do it. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, he says this, For we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. We know that we have come to know. That know there is not a head knowledge. It's not just an understanding of who Jesus is. That know there is an intimate, under, an intimate relationship, an intimate understanding with Jesus. And if we have that intimate relationship with Jesus, we will obey his commands. That's what John is saying here. He's saying, you will know you are a Christian. You will know you are a follower of Christ if you are following the commands that God has given. This passage is really close to my heart because it was a passage very similar to this that God used to open my eyes. Because for many years, I walked with the delusion that I was a follower of Jesus Christ. I believed that I was a follower of Jesus Christ, but the fact is that it wasn't in my heart. See, I believed that I was a follower of Jesus because I did things that I thought I was supposed to do. I went to church. I prayed before meals. I read my Bible occasionally. I went to youth group. But from the time I was 13, when I was, bap- I was baptized at the age of 13, but from that time on, I lived with this delusion. Now, don't get me wrong. God was working in my heart. God was moving in my direction. God was for me, and he was working and moving and changing me. But at the same time, I was living a very rebellious life towards him. And, and most people from the outside wouldn't have even seen it. They wouldn't have known. They wouldn't have been able to tell. They, they would have said, yeah, he's a good kid. He's got his act together. And so I know that I've told this story before, so those of you that have heard it, bear with me. But I think it's so relevant to this morning. Because at the age of 18, I was sitting on a bus, and I was riding to a retreat, and I was going just to have fun. It was a ski retreat. And I really had no intention of, of drawing closer to God. But during that bus ride, I had this strange burden that was placed in my heart to open God's word and read it. It was very strange for me on a bus full of my friends to have this desire to open God's word. So I responded and I opened God's word and it fell open to the book of John, chapter 14. And the only verse that I read that night was verse 15. And it says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And it was the first time that I ever realized I didn't love Jesus. It was as if Jesus was sitting right beside me and he said, Chris, you say that you love me. With your lips, you will tell people that you are a follower of me. But with your actions and your heart, you are far from me. And my heart was broken in that moment because it was the first time that I ever really looked at my life and evaluated, am I really a follower of Jesus Christ? Or is this all about me? True love, true love is shown through obedience. Parents, you can understand this well. If you have small children or even teenagers, you understand this well. Nothing speaks love to you as a parent more than obedience. Because when your children obey you, you don't have this tension between you. You don't have to correct them. You don't have to be working on something. There is a deepening of your relationship when they can just simply obey. I've heard 
Pastor Adam talk about this several times, and the same is true in our home. We have four young children. The oldest will be seven next month. Our youngest is 18 months. And so when bedtime comes along, it's this strange thing that happens. It's like our house is very peaceful. Everything's fine. And then suddenly when the words are spoken that it's time to go to bed, our house becomes an ER. I mean, there's like, I have, my knee hurts. I have a toothache. I need something. And it just, it's just becomes this drag of getting them to go to bed. And in those times, our relationship is not deepened as I'm telling them to brush their teeth or put their clothes on or I'm threatening to spank them. It's just, it's not growing deeper. But what does happen occasionally is our kids will say, okay, and they'll go. And they'll put their pajamas on and they'll crawl in bed. And we can sit, Aaron and I can sit and talk with them about the day. We can pray with them. We can read a story to them. And our relationship is deepened. Parents, if you have teenagers, you know what I'm talking about. When everything is a constant struggle with your teenage son or daughter, it's incredibly difficult to have that connection with them. But in those moments where they're obedient, following you, it speaks love to you. So true love is shown through obedience. If you have your notes uh, on the pull-out page in your bulletin, you will find that there is one blank, and if you want to fill in that blank, the word there is obedience. Jesus modeled this obedience for us perfectly. He modeled obedience perfectly. 1 John chapter 2 verse 6 says this, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. I love this verse. Now, It's funny because some of the youth staff that work here, they give me a hard time. They say that I walk with a swagger. They say that I walk with some sort of confidence. And my reply to that is that's how God made me. I I can't change the way I walk. But in this passage, what John is talking about here is John's not talking about the way that Jesus physically walked. He's not saying that we have to figure out how God took step or Jesus took step by step and try to mimic that. What he's saying is that we need to walk through life, journey through life the same way that Jesus did. So we can get an incredible amount of wisdom about what obedience looks like by looking at the life of Christ. So I want to do that with you this morning. Uh, A passage that will come up on the screen here, we'll read through it, is in Matthew. And I'll kind of set the... uh, set the stage for you as we go through Matthew chapter 26. And what happens in Matthew, or what's happening, the scene that's happening is Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's his last hours on earth. And his good friend, Judas, has just gone away to betray him. And so here Jesus is in this time of great anxiety... And we find this really special moment between he and God the Father. Let's read through this together. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. 
yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. May your will be done. What we see here is this interesting conversation between Jesus and God the Father. And what Jesus is saying here, I am convinced of this, that Jesus, he was not so much concerned about the physical harm that was about to happen to his body. But what he was concerned about was the separation that was going to happen between he and God the Father. The first and only time that the two would ever be separated. And he was concerned about that. And so he comes to God the Father and he says, God, I don't want to do this. And if there is any other way that we can save them, may this cup be taken from me. I don't want to go through it. But the key that I see here is that he says, not my will, God, but yours. Not my will, Father, but yours be done. Jesus completely trusted God the Father, completely trusted him. And so he models it in his obedience and says, God, if this is what you want, I trust that you are good, and so I'll obey. And then he goes on with what he knows is coming, his ultimate death for our sins. But Jesus models obedience. He models obedience for us in a way that we really need to look at and examine. Do we have that kind of trust in God the Father? Do we have that kind of faith to say that, God, no matter what you call me to do, no matter how crazy it sounds, I am willing to do it. I want you to think about this this morning. What is God calling you to do in your own life? Where is God calling you out and saying, you need to stretch yourself in this area of your life? Maybe God is calling you to reach out to a neighbor that doesn't know Jesus. And God has placed you there for this time that you might build a relationship and share God's love with that neighbor. Now, if you think about this, it's going to take an investment, isn't it? It's going to take time. Maybe it'll take some money if you have a cookout for them or whatever it is. It's going to take time to invest in a relationship. But if God is calling you to do that, are you willing to make the sacrifice to invest in that relationship? Maybe God's calling you to mentor a young person, somebody that's growing up in a single parent home that desperately needs someone to come alongside of them and say, I love you. And so, yeah, if you make that step, that's going to cost you something to be obedient in that. It's going to cost you to invest in a young person's life. But if God's calling, it, calling you to it, are you being obedient? God was speaking to me about this very issue uh, this past week. I had the opportunity to go with the junior high students and some of our senior high students out to creation. If you're not familiar with what creation it is, it's this humongous Christian music festival. It's the largest in the world. There's somewhere between 80 and 90,000 people there on uh, certain nights, Friday or Saturday night. Just this amazing gathering of believers coming together to worship God. And as I was walking around the campsites, there's, some, there's somewhere between 55 and 60,000 people that camp there. And I was impressed by all the RVs and the campers and the big trucks. 
I mean, we even talked about some of the trucks that were close to our campsite and how awesome they were. And we were describing and explaining to the girls why we even like these trucks because they couldn't understand it. But as, as, one of the, as I was thinking about this through the week, one of the speakers came up Friday night and he began to talk about how much we have in our culture and how little we invest in others. And through him talking, I began to, to really begin to be angry with our culture and how much we invest in our own stuff. And as I looked out on this, this campground, I saw all these gorgeous vehicles that we have invested so much money in. I was beginning to get angry at our culture. And God quickly turned the mirror back towards me. And he said, Chris, how are you any different? How are you any different? You know, this past spring, we got our tax return and I, I bought a small four-wheeler for our son, our son Gabe, and it's been just a blast to ride it. We've really enjoyed it. Our whole family rides it. I look a little funny sitting on a small four-wheeler, but I still ride it. And so I thought, how cool would it be if I could save up some money and buy a four, four-wheeler that I could ride with Gabe? You know, a bigger one, obviously, that would fit me a little better. And so I started to put some money away from the, for this four-wheeler, and... God really spoke to me and said, you know, Chris, you can put money away for this all-terrain vehicle that you will use once in a while, while one of my children starves in another country. And he was speaking to me about this, they were doing this push for compassion, and I'm not trying to tell you that you need to rush out and do that this morning, but they were doing a push for compassion, and I've been in those moments before, those really emotional moments where they try to, you know, almost guilt you into doing it, but this was different for me. This was really different for me, and I, I felt like God was really calling me to, to go and sponsor a child, because if I could save money for a four-wheeler, certainly I could, I could give money, $38 a month, so that a little girl the age of my son in Mexico, her name's Maria, could have food on a table, could have medicine, could have an opportunity to go to school, and ultimately could hear the message of Christ, maybe for the first time. That brought great conviction on me. You know, sometimes we think that obedience is wrapped up just in following the Ten Commandments. We think that obedience is wrapped up in avoiding sin. But Jesus has given us this command that we should love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we should love others as ourselves. And as I thought about this, a passage in James came to mind. Uh, James chapter 4, verse 17. It'll come up on the screen here, I believe. James chapter 4, verse 17. I guess not, but I'll I'll recite it for you because I know it. It says, if anyone knows the good that he ought to do, there it is. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. I honestly believe that if I had not gone front and picked up that packet to sponsor Maria, that I would have been sinning. Because God was laying a burden on my heart to do something, to step out, to love others more than I love myself. And had I not done it, I would have, I would have been sinning. Now, there's no passage in Scripture that says, Thou shalt sponsor a compassion child. There's no... There's no sp- There's no passage in scripture that talks about that, but it does talk about loving others. And God was placing this burden on me. And so I felt like I had to. I think of a passage that comes to mind in Luke chapter 18. It's a story of Jesus meeting this rich young ruler. 
And this rich young man has everything. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Eternal life. What must I do to get to heaven is basically what he says. And Jesus tells him, well, you know the commandments. You know, don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery. And the young man says, well, I've done all those things. And I think it's interesting how Jesus responds to him because I'm pretty sure that Jesus probably could have pointed out some areas in his life where he hadn't done those things. But what Jesus goes after is his heart. And he says, okay, now I want you to do something else. I want you to give away everything that you have, sell all your possessions, give to the poor, be a blessing to others, and then come and follow me. And basically what Jesus is saying is stop trusting in yourself, stop trusting in your own wealth, and trust in me. Trust me for the details. And the man walks away sad. He walks away sad because he's trusting in himself. And not in the power of God to provide for him. Now we don't know the rest of the story if he ends up at some point being obedient to that or not. But certainly we see this picture of somebody that is struggling with whether or not I can fully trust God or can I. And that's the question that comes out this morning. Can we fully trust God enough to be obedient even when it stretches us? Well, I want to go back to the text there in 1 John. Because John expounds a little more on this. He brings something else to light here and, and begins to talk about darkness. So if we go to verse 9, I want to jump ahead to verse 9. It says this, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. But whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. Now I ask you to try to stay with me here as we bring this back this statement back to obedience, because ultimately this is going to come back to obedience and trusting God. But what John points out here is if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there's no room for you to hate your brother. Now, I would look at hatred as this. Hatred is something where I actually wish ill against another person. Where I say, you know what? I'm done with you. I'm no longer going to pray for you. I'm not going to help you if you have needs. And I hope that bad things happen to you. Because I don't want to associate with you anymore. This morning, I want to tell you, if there's somebody here that has that in their mind about someone else, and you're claiming to be in Christ, you can't have hatred towards another brother. That's what John's pointing out here. You can't, it can't exist. Now, notice, John does not say you can't be disappointed You can't be frustrated. You can't be annoyed with another believer. He doesn't say that. As a pastor, there are many times that I have been disappointed. As a pastor of young people, there's many times where I've been frustrated. It's not a frustration um, over something that someone's done to me. It's a frustration as I watch people make decisions, young people make choices that are ultimately going to cost them. That's frustrating. When I can see the devastation that lies ahead on the road and I can't do anything to change it. And it's kind of like standing there watching a car that's about to run into something else. And there's nothing you can do to change that. That's frustrating. But John doesn't talk about that. John talks about hatred. 
He says there's no room for hatred. Because what ultimately hatred does and what sin, ultimately sin does, is it blinds us. We don't have the ability to see anymore. John points out that the person that is blinded by hatred does not know where he is going. And this is true about all sin in our life. No matter what the sin is, if we allow it to be there, we start to become blind to where we're going. We have no idea where we're headed. We have no idea where the, the, that sin is going to lead us. I'll share with you this story. It happened this past winter at um, our junior high retreat. I was going to bring someone up here and blindfold them, have them walk around, try to find their way. But I was afraid they might fall off the stage and actually get hurt or something. So I figured I would just tell you this story. Um, and it really is worth telling. So there was a, we were playing a game, a, a game as normal junior hires do. We were playing a uh, relay race. We were doing this relay race. And the last leg of the relay race was someone was blindfolded. And they had to run from one end of the gym to the other and walk around a chair in the middle. So there was an obstacle that they had to get around. And when they got to the other end, they needed to touch the wall and come back. Well, they had one person that would walk with them and direct them so they could listen to that person. And that person would tell them, okay, you need to turn left or right or stop or do whatever needed to be done. So two of our leaders decided to take on two of our students in this aspect. And the leader's team was far ahead of the, of the student's team. And, and so Becky Harper was the one that was willing to put the blindfold on. And she put total faith in Tom Buckwater. Tom's one of our elders here. I asked for permission to tell this story. So I'm not telling this without asking for their permission. But total faith in Tom. And so Tom says, you know, before they get started, he says, you know, I'll guide you. Just trust in me. It's okay. I, I'll make sure you get where you got to go and that nothing will happen. And so Becky takes that seriously. And so even though they're far ahead, Becky sets out and she tears. I mean, she's running at a good pace of speed. And if you've ever run that when you can't see, it's, it's, it's kind of challenging. And so Becky's running towards this chair and Tom navigates her around the chair and she takes off towards the wall and they're way ahead of this other group. And she's running towards the wall and Tom forgets one very critical piece of information the word stop. (laughs) So as Becky's running full speed towards the wall, Tom forgets to yell stop, remembers at the last second, and Becky just plows into the wall. Now, luckily, Becky wasn't hurt. Uh, Well, she was hurt a little bit, but no concussion or anything like that. She kind of staggered around, and it was, we all laughed because we knew she didn't get injured, but their team ended up losing because it was interesting to watch Becky after this happened because Becky wasn't so sure that Tom was giving her the right directions anymore. So so Becky was far more cautious coming back than she had been going out. But the point of that story, the reason I tell that story is because what sin does to us in our lives is it blinds us. We don't have, like Becky, we don't have the ability to see where we're going. I want you to think about this in the area of hatred as John talks about hatred. This this harboring bitterness towards someone else. What begins to happen in us is we begin to worry and be consumed so much with our own self-righteousness. That we we miss, we totally miss what God might be doing in, in that person's life. 
Again, I think we need to look at the life of Jesus. Because Jesus modeled obedience perfectly. He did it wonderfully. And if we look at the picture of how he did it, and we look to him for our walk, it will help us as we try to glorify God with everything that we do. I want to look at two examples from Jesus' life of how Jesus had the opportunity to hate people, but he completely trusted God for the justice. Because justice is something that I think comes from God. When we see injustice, when injustice is done to us, that's, that's a good emotion. That emotion comes from God. But now what we do with that is critical. Because many of us, we try to act. We try to get justice for ourselves. And we don't trust God to bring justice where justice is needed. We're going to look at this passage in Luke chapter 19. I'll set up the, the story again for you. Jesus is in his final week of life on earth. He's coming into Jerusalem and he's riding on this donkey. And people are praising him. They're saying, Hosanna. They're praising him as the Savior as he's come. And Jesus knows that in a few short days, all of these people are going to turn their back on him. All right, so as he comes and he looks down on Jerusalem, this is what he does. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If even you had known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. What Jesus does here is he's looking down on a nation that is about to betray him. And if there was anybody that injustice had ever been done to, it would be Jesus. And there was ever anybody that had a reason to be angry at people, it would be Jesus. But what Jesus does is he looks out on Jerusalem, he weeps. His heart breaks for this nation that is blinded at what they're about to do. He says it at the end of that verse. He says, you did not see God coming to you. And they were blinded. I wonder, I was challenged this week as I went through this. Do I weep for my generation? Do I weep for my nation as our nation turns from God? Do I weep for young people as they make poor decisions. It's a challenge for me. Am I really that shaken up at their blindness and their inability to see the choices they are making? And am I on my knees praying for those people? Praying that God would restore a nation, a generation to himself. Praying that God would restore a community. Terry Hill, East Earl, New Holland. And bring about great revival that people's eyes would be open and they would see who Jesus really is. One more example from Jesus. This one is probably more familiar to you. It comes from us in Luke chapter 23 verse 34. Here is the God of the universe. He's been mocked. He's been beaten. And he's been hung up on a cross to die. And here's what he says. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing. 
and they divided his clothes up and cast lots. Jesus looks out on these people that he could have tremendous hatred for. I mean, you think about it. Has anybody ever done anything to you physically? Punched you? Kicked you? Spit at you? Sworn at you? Cussed at you? I mean, I think about this in my own life. I get upset at the guy that cuts me off and gives me the, the finger or that he curses me out. I get frustrated. That's injustice. It shouldn't happen. And yet here's Jesus hanging on a cross. And if there's anybody that could ever be angry at someone, it would be Jesus for being mistreated the way he was. And yet he looks down on them and he says, Father, forgive them. And I really honestly believe the reason that Jesus can do that, the reason that he can look at them and say, Father, forgive them, and he can look at a nation and weep for them, is because he totally trusts God for the justice to be done. He completely trusts that God will take care of it. So Jesus doesn't have to fight for his own rights. Jesus doesn't have to fight to be right in an argument. Jesus doesn't have to try to take something out on someone else to inflict justice. He trusts God that, will, that God will take care of it. If you read the book of Romans, Romans talks about this. That it's not for us to take revenge, but that we're supposed to leave it for God. Jesus, his obedience that came out in his actions was because of his trust for the Father. It was because of his trust for the Father. Now you might say to me, As we close here, you might say to me, well, Chris, it's really easy for Jesus to be obedient because he was God. He was God. So, of course, it was easy for him to be obedient. You might say, well, you don't know the stuff that's going on in my own life. You don't know the stuff that I've done. Here's why it's hard for me to be obedient. You don't know what's happened to me. You don't know what's been done to me. You don't know what they've said about me. You don't know how I've responded, how I've acted. I want to tell you this morning, the beauty of what 1 John does, what John does in 1 John, is that he says that we have a God that is faithful to us. He says that we can be made new. If you look at 1 John 1, 9, it says that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just. To forgive our sins. What that means is that we can be cleansed of that sin in our life. We can be cleansed of the responses that we've made. We can be cleansed of the way we've acted. And we can be made new again. That is a beautiful, beautiful picture that Jesus gives us there. And we can fully claim to walk as Jesus walked if we're continually coming to Him, confessing sin, and allowing Jesus to represent us. Last verse here that I want to share with you is 2 Corinthians 5.21. This is a verse this morning that I think we really need to grasp. It's one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture because it wraps the gospel up so clearly. It said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This morning I want you to, to really think, if you're into deep the, theology, There's some deep theology wrapped up in this verse. God made him who had no sin, Jesus, 
that he might take upon himself my sin. That he might be sin for us. So Jesus takes our sin upon himself and not only does he stop there. He doesn't just stop there. It says that we might become the righteousness of God. So in exchange for my sin, what Jesus gives me is his righteousness, his perfection. So as I walk through this life, I know that I am made clean, not by the things I've done, not by the things I say, but by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's how I'm made righteous. That's how I'm justified before God. It is all because of the work of Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross. I challenge you this morning. I know we don't often do this here. But as I was preparing for this, God was really laying this on my heart. Because so many of us, I think, from time to time, we walk in darkness in our own sin. And we struggle to even see it. But there's little cracks in our life. Little things that we deal with. Little things that go on that we, we, ah, we don't really want to deal with. We don't want to repent of. We don't want anybody to know about. Maybe there's a person here that, you know, you have that feeling about. Like, I don't want to deal with that person. I'm not going to pray for them. What they did to me, I'll never forgive them. And you have that hatred in your heart. What John tells us is if you have those things in your life, then there's blindness there. There's blindness. This morning, I want to challenge you. If there is an area of your life where you've been walking in darkness... If there's an area of your life where there's been sin that hasn't been dealt with. And I ask you this morning to come up front. And I know we don't often do it here, but there are people here that will come forward and pray with you. I'd love to pray with you. If there are things that are going on, don't be afraid to come forward. And there will be this temptation that will go on inside of you that will think, no, I don't need to deal with that today. I'll deal with that Monday morning. Or I'll deal with that when I get home. But why not make now, this morning, the time when you walk in the light, in freedom from that sin? Because God, Jesus, is waiting. He said, I've taken the sin upon myself, and I want to give you my righteousness. I will give it to you if you come to me. This morning, we don't have to walk in darkness anymore. We can walk in light. So I make that challenge. There's something that's been going on in your life that you have been walking in darkness. Feel free to come front. People won't judge you. They won't think less of you because all of us have been in the same place. Let me pray. Father God, I come to you this morning. I praise you for Jesus. God, that I don't have to be perfect, that the sin in my life has been forgiven. God, I pray this morning that we would really grasp what obedience is. God, that we would be obedient to you in every aspect of life. And if you're calling us to do something, God, that we would stop ignoring the burden that you're placing on our heart and be faithful and obedient and demonstrate our love for you through that obedience. God, I thank you for the people that are here. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts. Lord, if there is something that is keeping us in the darkness, may we expose it to the light as you have given us the opportunity. And may we receive 
healing and forgiveness. And may we walk in the light and not in the darkness. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.